Well, I want to thank everybody who came out for the workday yesterday. We got lots done, both inside and outside. All the, the pews got polished and vacuumed out, and the kitchens got clean, and weeds got pulled, and trees got trimmed. And so, so lots going on yesterday to get our building and grounds uh, looking good for spring. And so thank you for those who, who came out yesterday to, to help with that. So uh, we are in John chapter 15 today. And so let's go ahead and uh, pray as we get started. God, we thank you for this time where we can uh, slow down and focus in on your word. And God, we pray that as we encounter you through, through your word this morning, we will come to know you more, that you will reveal yourself to us through this time together. So God, we pray that you will speak to us and that we will have ears to hear. I pray that you will block out the distractions, uh, give us energy from the, the less sleep, uh, help us to, to focus in on you and what you have for us this morning. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, when you think about fine wine, if you think about such a thing, what are the things that come to mind? Uh, maybe it is uh, different regions of France where the wines come from. The French have this long history of, of vintage winemaking, and, and many of the names that we have are actually names of regions where the wine grapes are grown. And so things like Champagne and Chardonnay are, are not things that are in bottles, they're actually places, and the things that are in bottles are named after those places because that is where it was grown. There are all different types of regions that give their names to different types of wines. And so to be a real authentic champagne or an authentic Chardonnay, you have to be a grape that came from that place. And so you look at where the grape comes from. The French are known for their wine snobbery, and so they really protect those names and, and protect what those places are. But there are other winemakers who travel to other places and start to experiment with different things, places like Napa or places like New Mexico, where you want to grow and try growing different kinds of grapes. But regardless of where the wine comes from, there is this foundational principle that applies to both old world and new world wine. It's great wine is always a reflection of a particular vineyard. So the taste of a wine is, is more about the vineyard that it comes from. And so if you want to pick a good wine, you need to know the source of that wine. So for all of those of you who don't care about wine, that's the key thing. Where did the wine come from? Apparently, it tastes different. So last week, <laughs> last week, we went through the entire farewell message of Jesus, chapters 14 through 17, and we just read through all of that. 
And it's this powerful message that, that Jesus gives to his disciples as, as he is getting ready to leave. It's in this discourse that Jesus teaches his followers about future events and what's coming up, things to expect, what does discipleship look like, who's going to come to support them, this advocate, this friend, this counselor that Jesus is going to send in order to bless them and be with them. But tucked in the middle of this story, Jesus uses this metaphor of vines to be able to describe what discipleship looks like, what a connection to Jesus looks like. So let's reread this section as we get into it for today, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus, of course, knows a little bit about wine. It was something that was common in his day, but, but it's also uh, one of his first miracles. Uh, he is the finest of winemakers, as we see in John chapter 2, where he, he has this miracle of turning water into wine. Jesus knows good wine. And the vineyard imagery is frequently used throughout the Old Testament, and it, it describes God's relationship with Israel. In Isaiah 5, God plants a vineyard and it produces wild grapes, which is a metaphor for the unfaithfulness of Israel. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, there is Israel being a vine and a source of poor fruit because of their unfaithfulness. And so throughout the Old Testament, we have this imagery of the vine. This was an imagery that continued on to, into the day of Jesus, where you would go to the temple, and above, above the holy place, the entrance into the temple, there was this very ornate uh, sculpture of gold in the form of a grapevine. And wealthy, wealthy uh, people would come, and they would make donations, and they would add their donations into this growing vine that was built over the entrance into the temple. And so when Jesus says something about a vineyard, people have all of this imagery already at play for them. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that Jesus would use a vine as a metaphor to talk about discipleship. What is shocking, though, is Jesus says, I am the vine. Because all of the imagery is connecting Israel to being the vine. And now Jesus comes in and says, no, I'm the vine. 
So, so this, this ornate vine that you see built over the temple or, or what you read about in Scripture when you, when you talk about Israel being the vine, things are changing. I am now the vine. In a sense, Jesus is saying that, that God is replacing the vineyard. He's, he's planting a new vine, and that new vine would be Jesus himself. And so Jesus now embodies the mission of God. God's chosen one, the one whom the whole world would be saved and be blessed. It's now Jesus, not Israel. And so Jesus is making this very bold statement by identifying himself as the vine. It's interesting that his very first miracle was winemaking. And now he is declaring that he is the vine, the source of all of that fruit. And so the quality of the fruit depends on the branches, and that becomes more of the focus of what Jesus is saying here. He, he says that I am the vine, but you are the branches. And this is where he spends the bulk of his time talking, that, that it's the branches that are an important part of this story. The branches are not the fruit. The branches are the conduit of the nourishment that goes from the vine, which is Jesus, to the fruit. And so we are those branches. The quality of the fruit is going to depend on the health of the branches and the branches' connectedness to the vine. That's where healthy fruit comes from. And so there's this inter interrelationship between Jesus and his disciples. There's the unhealthy branches that, that bear poor fruit, and even, and even healthy branches have to be pruned back to bear more fruit. I was watching some YouTube videos preparing for this about what, it's, what it means to prune a grapevine. And these grapevines are pruned way, way down, chopped down to almost nothing every January to be able to produce good fruit through the season. And so even the healthiest branches need to be pruned way back so that they can be fruitful in the coming months. And so as, as disciples of Jesus, we are these branches, and we have to stay connected to Christ. We have to abide in Christ, remain in Christ, rest in Christ. And if that happens, then fruit will come. That's where the fruitful life comes from. And so failure to stay intimately connected to Jesus leads us to being unfruitful branches. And the unfruitful branches have one purpose— firewood. And so they're cut off and they're thrown into the fire. They're unhealthy branches that are not getting their nourishment from the vine. They're dead and they're cut off. And so there's a lot that we can come to with this metaphor, how, what it looks like to be disciples, what it looks like to stay connected to the vine. It's rich in meaning, and we could probably jump into an entire series just looking at what it means to remain in Christ. But today we're going to continue on reading in verse 9 and look at the entire section together to see what Jesus is telling us. What does it mean to remain? Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Remember, he's given us this command a few times. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So we're considered friends if we're obedient to Jesus' command to love one another. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Fred Craddock tells the story of of going into a city and having a canceled flight. So he has to get a last-minute motel room that's close to the airport, and it's a Saturday night, so he wants to go to church on Sunday morning, and he, he asks around to find a church that's within walking distance. And so he gets the recommendation of a housekeeper who sends, them si- sends him six blocks away to this center block church with a handful of people singing gospel songs as he gets there. And he sits down, and the, the aged preacher gets up slowly to the podium and, and starts preaching. And the text for the morning is actually James 2.23, where Abraham is called a friend of God. And this preacher at this small church says, starts with this message. Abraham was a friend of God. I'm sure glad I'm not a friend of God. And so you think about the life that Abraham led, and the preacher goes on to tell about all of the people who have been called friends of God, and the persecution, and the torture, and the death, and the dungeons, and the fire that came to those who were called friend of God. And that preacher says, I'm sure glad I'm not a friend of God. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a difficult place to be, to be called a friend of God. Jesus says that, that we are no longer servants, we are friends. This sounds like a promotion, right? You're not a servant, you're a friend. This is a good thing, right? But what happens to Jesus' friends? Think about what that promotion means. As as servants, you follow instructions. You follow commands. You complete tasks. You listen to directions. You check off boxes. You get the job done. That is the life of a servant. And at the end of the day, your job is over and you go home and you go to bed. And so there are certain things about the servant's life that are actually a little bit appealing. You're not, told, you're, you're not having to come up with your own plans. You are told the plans. 
And you don't have to worry yourself about what the master is dealing with. You don't have to worry about the household finances. You don't have to worry about what's coming up next. You don't have to worry about the big plans because you were just the servant doing what you're told to do. You mind your own business. That's the life of a servant. It's simple, but in some ways kind of freeing at the same time. You know exactly what's expected of you. You have very specific instructions. How many of us live our lives as followers of Jesus, as servants in that metaphor? We're checking the boxes. We're doing what we're told to do. We mind our own business, and we just get it done. But Jesus says, no, you're, you're not a servant in that regard. You're my friend's. And what do friends get? Friends get to know the inside scoop. Friends get to know what the master is up to. They're they're invited into the master's study where they're able to talk about the plans and and get a vision for the future and and have all the concerns and worries and, and, and all the celebrations at the same time. You're friends with the master. It's something totally different. Craddock says, a friend of Jesus shares in the knowledge of God's operation in the world, what God is doing and how God is doing it. It's a totally different relationship. You're not simply checking the boxes. You're in on what God is doing. Friendship is this mutual thing. Have you ever been in a one-sided relationship? where you want to be friends with someone and you're the only one who's initiating the activity, the only one initiating the conversation, the only one making the phone calls. We've had those relationships, right? It's a one-sided relationship. That's not a friendship because friendships are mutual. They go both directions, which means friendship with Jesus isn't just about being a good friend from him, it requires something of us as well. We talk about Jesus being our friend, and we list off all the things that Jesus will do for us, but we're still operating as a servant in the household. Instead of operating as a friend, it requires something of us as well. Being called a friend of Jesus is not something that is light. It's not something that is just given to us. It's something that comes at a cost. We talk about all the great things that Jesus is for us and the things that Jesus does for us, and we call him our friends. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, Clara gave me this note about, um, I, it was uh, you know, 2014, so she was just learning how to write out words, and she said, God will be a BFF to you. God is your friend's. He wants to be your best friends. But the thing about a relationship with God is that it's not just about him being a friend to you. It's also about you being a friend to him. And so to be called Jesus's friend is something completely different than living a life of just being a servant. And so the question for you this morning is, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Who's initiating all the contact? Who's, who's investing in the relationship? 
Who's inviting who to the movies? Are you a friend to Jesus? Or are you still operating like you're a servant of Jesus? Because we're called to be in a relationship with God, not just working for God. We're in a relationship with God. And that's mutual and interchangeable and interconnected. Friends stay connected with one another. They remain connected to the vine. And so because of Jesus, we have this new identity, this new relationship where where we're not servants, we are friends. And we're friends who are connected to the vine, who is Jesus. And Jesus supplies us with, with everything that we need to bear fruit. And he invites us in as friends to be a part of his mission. And so as we look at verses 1 through 17, we we see emerging through this passage these three different dimensions of discipleship that we've talked about quite a bit over the years. The, the, The dimensions of discipleship that involve up, in, and out. And that as we read through this, we see this up dimension, this this relationship with God, our relationship with Him. So to be a healthy branch, you can't be cut off and on your own. To be a healthy branch, you have to stay connected to the vine. And so we have to be investing in our relationship with God. We have to abide in Him. We have to remain in Him. It's a relationship with Him. And being in this relationship with him allows us to bear fruit. It's out of the overflow of that relationship with God that allows us to be a conduit of health and vitality. And so are we showing others, are are we showing the love of others, sorry, are we showing the love for others and Jesus as he's commanded us to do? Are we showing that love? Are we showing unity to the world? When people see us, do they see our love for one another? Do they see our unity? That can feel a bit overwhelming because we're not always the best of friends to one another. We're not always that loving to one another. And so for many of us, the first thing that comes to our mind is, great, I need to schedule more things on my calendar to make sure I'm eating dinner with more people in my home. I need to schedule more time with you. And while that may be what we need to do, where we're more connected with one another, the real thing, the real antidote to this problem is, are you connected to the vine? Because love for others will be an overflow of our connection with the vine. And so if you're struggling with your love for each other, you may want to look and see how healthy your branch is and how connected to the vine it is. Are you going in your own effort? Are you trying to do more? Because that's a servant's mindset, not a friend's mindset. He says to to rest in his love, to be a friend, to be connected, to have a relationship with him. And it's only in the context of that relationship and and the connectedness with the vine that we can really live out the rest of our call of discipleship of of in and out. We're in as our relationships with one another, that, that as a body we should be loving one another. We need to be friends with one another. We need to know one another. and We need to be in one another's lives. Are we in relationship with one another? The interesting thing about vines is they grow in such a way that they become a big tangled mess. 
and the vines are all intertwined and wound together, and it's hard to tell where one starts and the other stops. The branches are so intertwined with one another that they really become just one big branch. And so are you interconnected with one another? Jesus desired for a church that would be a community, that would be a place of, of true, loving friendship. He desired a place that, that, that would be connected to one another. His desire was that, that this would be a place where our cravings for, for loving connection with others would be fulfilled. That was his vision for the church. And so for many of us, we forget that, that God's, God's thoughts about life, that his expectations for the family, too often we, we think that it is just an event that we attend, that we check off a box. But it's more than just an event that Christians attend once a week. It's something that's to be lived out in, in deep connection and community with others. We often talk about our faith in very, um, in very um, individualistic and isolated ways. It's about my faith and what I believe, and this is me and my relationship with God. But it's more than just a relationship with God. That relationship should overflow into a love with, uh, for others and overflow into a relationship with others. So remaining connected to the vine will, will put you in close proximity, even in a, a tangled mess with others, with other branches. And that is by design. The last dimension is this out component. Out is our relationship with the world. Loving others who are in can be easier at times, but loving the world, those who are out, becomes very difficult. In verse 16, we're, we're commissioned to go out. Jesus says that we are appointed to carry on the mission. If Jesus is now the vine and we are the branches, we, the branches, will carry out God's mission to bless and save the world. And that's what we're called to. That's what we are appointed to do. As friends, we, uh, he has let us in on what he's up to. He's told us what his plans are, and he has shared his burden for the world with us. His burden is now our burden, and so we no longer go home at night knowing that our work is done. We know that our work is never done, and we share that with God. A friend's mindset says, how can we be a good friend to Jesus? How can we help him get done what he wants to get done? So Jesus is our friend. What kind of friend are we to Jesus? All of this is out of an overflow of being connected to the vine. And out of the overflow, we will be able to love others, others in and others out to carry on God's mission. So how is your up, in, and out? How connected are you to the vine? You can probably tell by your fruit. Fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. 
that fruit, what's it looking like? Is it lush and healthy, or does it look like raisins? Because a lot of our fruit has shriveled up and died because it's not connected to the vine. So what does your fruit look like? It doesn't mean you need to do more. It means you need to embrace Jesus as your friend, living life with him, in relationship with him, in connection to the vine. Great wine comes from fruit that reflects a particular vineyard and reflects a skilled winemaker. And so as disciples of Jesus who are who is the true vine, we need to embrace our roles as branches. We're, we're to stay connected to him. That's what is life-giving. But we also need to prune back and prune drastically the things that are taking away from true life. Prune back the things that are getting in the way of bearing fruit. We need to trim things down so that we can be channels of God's grace to others. It flows through us. And so when the world samples our fruits, what are they tasting? Will they taste a fine vintage of, of God's love? Will they taste his grace? Will they taste his unity? And will it taste so good that they want to meet the winemaker? Let's be standing together. I think for all of us, we need to be reminded and we need to be reminded frequently that it is staying connected to the vine that brings life. It's not about showing up to church services. It's not about checking boxes off. It's not showing up to the work day, although we did a lot of pruning yesterday. It's about staying connected to the vine. And it is out of the overflow of that that all other things come. And so this is, this is a confessional message for myself that says I need to stay connected to the vine. So we find ourselves tired. We find ourselves weary. We find that fruit not as tasty as we hoped it would be. There's a few raisins mixed in there. We need to reconnect with the vine. So we want to invite you into a time of prayer. This can be a time between you and God. It can be a time as a family. It can be a time as a small group. It can be a time to come forward with one of our shepherds, a time to, to reconnect to the vine. Say, I need more of you, Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we want people to know you. We want people to see you through the fruit of our lives. And so, God, we pray that you will nourish us, that you will strengthen us, that you will fill us. God, we want to be branches that are conduits of your love and grace. Use us for your, your purposes. And so fill us so that we can overflow.
God, for the times that we disconnect from you and are distracted from you, we pray that you will, will prune back the things in our lives that, that get in the way of us abiding in you, remaining in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.